Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk. And good morning to you. This is Breakfast Business with me, Emmett Oliver, sitting in on this Friday morning for Joe Lynham. And coming up on the show later, we'll hear from an Irish company that has raised millions of euros in a new seed funding round. We'll be talking about their business and how they got the money in and what they're going to plan to do with it. We'll also be looking at how you can run big festivals post the pandemic when we talk to those behind the Cork Jazz Festival. And we'll also, of course, have a full market rundown. And let's have a start on that because I have Dan Maroney from RBC Brew and Dolphin with me now. Um, Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning, Emmett. Thank you for joining us. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I hope. Um, we've got a good, good list of stories to get through. I'll come to um, market developments in a second. Obviously, there's been US GDP figures out, which kind of, um, they're kind of like good news is bad news is, is kind of the theme there. And we'll also talk about those ECB rate rises, which we had yesterday to hold the rates at their current position around 4%. But before we do that, let's have a little canter through the newspapers. We've got um, the newspapers getting quite excited about these latest figures from the Irish Banking and Payments Federation, but mortgage drawdowns. Um, the Irish Times headline there reads, first time buyers mortgage drawdowns hit highest level since the Celtic Tiger. And the Celtic Tiger, it's kind of been invoked here by the Times and the Indo to sort of say, oh, look, this market may be, you know, coming a bit out of control. The first time buyer segment is very hot. What do you make of these figures and, and the level of activity in, in that particular segment? Yeah, it, it's very interesting. It's Ian Kern with the story in the Irish Times. Um, a couple of things really jump out that, uh, firstly, there was um, about 3.1 billion um in new mortgages drawn down over the three months to the end of September, um, about 11,600 new mortgages. That is actually quite a significant decline of a, nearly 22% on an annual basis. But really, the decline is based on maybe slightly inflated figures from last year, because if we can cast our minds back 12 months, everybody knew that central banks were in a rate hiking mode and lots and lots of mortgage holders are taking the opportunity to remortgage or to switch. So there was a huge level of activity on that front last year. That's obviously kind of taken place at this stage. So um, so the, the drop-off year in year isn't as alarming as it might appear at, at first blush. And then first-time buyers representing such a significant portion of um, the new loans that have been uh, drawn down. 1.9 billion of that 3.1 billion figure is new mortgages. And also for approvals, we're seeing a similar kind of um, representation with first-time buyers. About 62-63% of the 1.2 billion worth of mortgages approved by lenders in the third quarter was first-time buyers, which is kind of evidence um, as well that, and Ian Kern mentions this in the story, there is still that mismatch, as we all know only too well, between demand and the supply of homes that are available. We're seeing lots and lots of borrowers seeking approval for mortgages, and they haven't even identified a property for purchase. But the approvals are still going in, and the approvals are still being dominated by the first-time buyer cohort. Well, the other thing that I think is probably more interesting, no disrespect to the, the Banking and Payments Federation, were the figures um, a few days ago from Permanent TSB, where they talk about just a shift in what kind of mortgages people are taking out. And they seem to see a little bit of a shift towards variable mortgages that people essentially believe, rightly or wrongly, that the fixed thing gives no value anymore, that we're at the top of the rate cycle. These seem to be a small trickle of mortgage borrowers in the overall scheme. But there is that sort of a inflection point maybe has been reached where the average mortgage borrower is saying, hang on a second, the ECB, maybe they're not going to cut in the immediate term, but that's the way we're going. So why would I lock myself in to these peak rates? I mean, I suppose the question to you, Dan, if you can help us on it is, are they right in making that assumption? 
It, there are lots of very, very highly paid professionals with uh, far more intelligence than I have that their entire job is to try to predict the, the path of short-term interest rates, and many of them still can't do it. So I wish all uh, Irish mortgage holders the very best, including myself, in terms of trying to navigate this new higher rate environment. But it's extraordinarily difficult to, to have any sense of uh, certainty about the path of rates. I think on balance, it is probably reasonable to think that the ECB are towards the end of their hiking cycle. I, you know, that, that would be reasonable. But, you know, markets make fools of everybody and who knows what might be around the corner. But I, I think there's, there's certainly a degree of sense, of common sense in, in taking that viewpoint, given the extent of rate hikes that we've seen from the ECB over the last year or so. Yeah, and I'm certainly not going to tell everyone from this microphone they're wrong about <laughs> what kind of mortgage <laughs> they take. So, But it, it is it is a fool's paradise in the sense of being, any, making any firm predictions. Let me move you on to another story, which is in the Irish Independent. They're talking about the restoration of bankers' bonuses at AIB. This would obviously apply to other institutions as well, Bank of Ireland and so forth. What, what do you make of this? I mean, we, we don't want to get into a big, long discussion about whether banker bonuses are right or wrong or morally yeah. justified, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but they're very small in comparative terms at this stage. Do you see this as just normal banking coming back into play? I think so. I mean, uh, the, the headline itself might cause people to choke on their cornflakes, but then when you see the detail, it isn't a return to the, the wild uh, Celtic Tiger days of massive bonuses for, for the banking industry. It's really just um, staff bonuses of up to 5% of salary are €12,700 will be instigated next year. And I, I think importantly, and something that a lot of people wouldn't have been aware of, was the extent to which the, the, it, the terms imposed on the banking sector after the bailout, the stringency of those terms, it included that healthcare benefits to employees were, were, were restricted. So I, I don't think anybody would really have much of an issue with the restoration of health insurance. And for the first time actually ever, AOB will be providing health insurance for all its employees in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland. So I, I, I think that's um, that's not too controversial, to put it mildly. Uh, the bank is now highly profitable. And uh, there was a comment in the story in the Independent, Donald Dunn's story, there's comments from the Financial Services Union who represent bankers, the FSU. And um, they're just saying that like the reintroduction of healthcare insurance scheme is, is, is welcome and variable pay. While it is controversial, it, when you look at the details, it really isn't anything uh, extor- extraordinary. Or no, anything like and that. it might lead on to our next story, which is this is a highly competitive labour market. We're at full employment or there or thereabouts. So banks, whether we like it, are going to have to compete with other parts of the economy. And the story I'm talking about is the Irish Independent, which says job vacancies fall by a quarter. But, you know, when you read the story and you dissect it a little bit further, it's still a very tight labour market. It's not as tight, but it's still tight. Would that be your analysis? Yeah, it is. This is a global story, really. But um, being such an open economy and having so many... um, uh, uh, multinational companies in the country were very open to the the tides and the ebbs and the flows of the the global employment market and we're, we're seeing it here it's a very very tight job market in ireland there this is um uh, sarah collins the story in the indo the employment website irish jobs they have a third quarter index uh their their data is out on job vacancies and overall job vacancies they dropped by 28 percent in three months to september but I don't think it's necessarily anything that people should be getting too concerned about. The IT sector dropped by almost half in terms of job vacancies, by 42%. But 
still they're accounting for about 6% of all openings third quarter. It's still a very, very significant sector, obviously, in the economy. There's a quote from Sam Dooley, who's the director of the owner of the Irish Jobs website, Stepstone, just saying that the, the labour market remains very, very strong. The country is uh, indisputably close to full employment. And, the, you know, it, there's an ongoing trend of job vacancies declining, but there were there were really exceptionally high levels last year. There's also an interesting nugget just at the end of the story, um, Talent Trends Survey by ACCA, the accounting group. They, they note that Irish finance professionals are more likely to be fully home or hybrid workers than elsewhere in the world. There is only 17% uh, of Irish finance professionals are based in the office full time wow. compared with the European that, average. That is extraordinary. 31%. Yeah, that is it's amazing. really, really low. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's interesting to that see. That might again, have been a better lead lead for the independent, <laughs> the, the job <laughs> vacancies. Per, but yeah. perhaps it, it, it's it's indicative of a very strong market where employers are having to be more flexible. And the idea that um, certainly within that financial services sector, that an employer could insist on a return to the office, that might be um, self defeating in terms of being able to attract people. Yeah. One final one before we talk about the US GDP figures because they're they're interesting in themselves. But Intel, which is a company, a real bellwether for Ireland, uh, corporate Ireland at least, uh, nearly 6,000 employees down in League Slip, which we like to keep an eye on. They've got some results. It's in the FT or the FT.com is the brand they like to push now. Um, the results are good, which is saying something because Intel have been in the doldrums for kind of a few years now. They've really missed out on a number of the key sectors in the chip world. But this seems to suggest or presage sort of a bit of a recovery or some good times, maybe just their order books and positioning generally is better at Intel. And that's good for this particular country. Yeah, the third quarter earnings, they beat expectations pretty comfortably. And most importantly, I think it was the, the strong forecast for the final months of the year and the kind of the, the future path that was outlined um, that is particularly important. Uh, the chief financial officer, Dave Zinser, was quoted in the Financial Times story. Um, they were talking about, like, obviously, the, the, as he said, the, the Intel had been losing ground, um, particularly in the data center market. Um, but it looks like there, there are new products coming on stream. They're talking about the next generation of data center chips. They, they call them Emerald Rapids and Sierra Forest. They're on track for <laughs> the great next names, year. aren't they? Great names. Yeah, Sierra fantastic. Forest. Sierra Forest, yeah. Um, they're on track for launch next year. And, you know, in, in general, the, the forecasts were better than Wall Street had expected. Net income in the third quarter, it was actually down about 71%. But a lot of that was due to cost ramping up because they are bringing these new products on stream. So all in all, the results were greeted warmly. By okay, the, let, me, by let me bring in more macro. And just to briefly mention it, there's also a story out there that the Irish independent owner, Media House, may make a bid for the Daily Telegraph. Don't have time to get into that, but just to mark it. Now, um, Dan, in terms of the US economy, we've got this strange theme that things are good or actually bad. Uh, what we mean by that is these were strong results by the US economy, 4% uh, growth GDP. I know nobody likes GDP anymore and says, well, what about all these other metrics? But nevertheless, it does get watched. Just explain to our listeners why what's something that seems good on the surface is actually bad in another way. Yeah, at the moment, the, the market in, in, in general, investors in general, are fixated on interest rates. Um, and, you know, short-term rates have risen so sharply over the last 18 months, we've had an extraordinary interest rate shock, rates going from zero to north of 5% in the US in particular. Um, so when, when investors in aggregate are kind of fixated on short-term rates, 
they're hoping for rate cuts, for, particularly from the US Federal Reserve. And there was a bit of an expectation that there might be rate cuts around the corner a few months ago. What's happened and why markets in general have turned down over the last couple of months is the hope or expectation for these rate cuts has kind of diminished. And when you're in that environment, what would give you rate cuts from a central bank? Well, it would be a slowdown in the economy. So it's a, we kind of have this bizarre situation. It isn't that unusual in markets, but it is counterintuitive that when you see strong economic data, the market will sell off on the back of it because although the, the data is strong, the market is fixated on looking at that through a pessimistic lens and saying strong data means we won't get those rate cuts from the central bank that we we're expecting or hoping for. And that's the environment we're in at the moment. So obviously you could interpret strong economic data in a positive way. That would be the most natural yeah, way. To l- like the rest of us will do. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, the traders could take their own uh, take their own line from that particular set of numbers. Listen, we have to leave it there because we're up against time as ever. That is Dan Moroni helping me walk through the newspapers and all the market news. And what's been quite of a surprisingly busy week, um, which was sort of unusual when we ECB wasn't going to do anything. Other things kind of stepped in and filled the news vacuum. Dan is from RBC Bruin. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk.